Well, it's, uh, it's good to see everybody here this morning, and uh, we're thankful that you're here. Again, like as Clay said, if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we're so thankful you chose to be with us, and it really is our heart's desire for you to encounter God in a real way. And we believe that the best-kept secret in the church, in the local church, is Jesus, and, and we ought to turn him loose and let him just do whatever he wants to do. Amen. But uh, we appreciate you again for being here. Uh, today is a special Sunday. We're going to be giving an update about a campaign that we started a, uh, a year ago called Daring Faith. And, and Daring Faith is a three-year campaign, and you can find more information about it in your bulletin on the back. But it is a, a, a three-year campaign that is uh, focused on growing, sowing, and going. And in those three areas, we, we have set and established some goals and what we would uh, like to see God do and uh, what we're believing God to do and, and how we can be a part of that. And uh, if you've got that slide, if you can find it on, that, uh, on the pro presenter, just hold it, put it on there and just leave it on there just for a second. But uh, we have uh, local ministry goals within the church. We have uh, local uh, missions that uh, we uh, are involved in and supporting. And then we have global missions and outreach that, that we focus on as well. And, and some of our uh, goals within the church itself is to, we want to see uh, over the next three years, you can leave that up there, over the next three years, well now for the next two years, we want to see 200 people come to know Jesus uh, in the next 12 months. Uh, another goal, we, we want to be able to see all of our ministries within the church uh, fully staffed with volunteers so there's no lack and so that we can uh, uh, make sure we've got enough staff and that we're ministering effectively. Uh, another goal is we want to see 75% of uh, the people that are uh, a part of City of Hope Church involved uh, in, a, in a ministry. So th those are some of the goals that we have. These are some of the outreaches and, and ministry focuses that, that we have during this particular time. And I just want to give you an update of what's took place, what your support has made happen up to this point, where we are and, and what to do as we move forward. We've had several new people that have come and, and joined the church over the past 12 months, and uh, many of them have not heard of the, of the campaign that we've been doing. And so uh, this is a good time to let you know that, that, that your sacrifices and your commitments and the things that you're is making a big difference, and it's, it's making a difference in people's lives. So uh, what we've been able to do in the last 12 months is we've been able to give two scholarships away to uh, an individual, uh, Nathaniel Miller, and he, he goes to Asbury College, and Asbury College took what we were able to give, and they matched it, so what we were given and what we gave actually was doubled as a result of that, and that's helping him and his, and his family uh, with expenses at school, and that, that's a big deal. That was a dream of mine for a long time, but we want it to continue to grow, and we we want to be able to, to help support kids that, that are worthy of support and that we can uh, make uh, something happen for them. Uh, another thing is we, we helped a brand new church plant in uh, Missouri to purchase chairs for the new building that they just moved into. It's actually they're renting it, and uh, that was a blessing. We helped a local church in our community 
pay their, their property off that they had purchased uh, a couple of years back, and they were able to uh, pay off their church property. We were able to give, uh, increase our giving to Chad's Hope $2,100 this year. Um, we were able to uh, uh, focus and, and uh, work together with Paces Creek Elementary in our Adopt-A-School project. We were able to feed the staff three times. We went out and we did service projects. We, we landscaped at the school. We, we helped painted the parking lots and all the different things that were there. And, and, and again, this is a big deal. You know, it, it, everybody is so grateful and thankful for that. We helped uh, someone go on a missions trip. And those are just a few of the things that we were able to do locally. Also, globally, uh, those of you that don't know, we are involved in church planning and unreached people groups. And we target South Sudan because it is one of the most difficult areas in the entire world. It is the poorest nation on the face of the earth, and uh, we have been able to plant in the last, uh, or at least help plant in the last 12 months, over 30 churches, and there's over a 1,000 new converts in those churches that are attending church service, have already attended church service this morning, who never heard the gospel before. I mean, it's just, and those of you that know me know how much I, I have a passion for that. But um, we also were able to give $2,000 to uh, Henry Wynn. Part of the, the church planning effort that we've uh, been a part of is, is that we, obviously, we go out and we evangelize and we disciple and we help to try to establish churches. But, you know, it comes with the cost. Without, without financial support, it's not possible to do those things. And so uh, what uh, Henry has done while he's in Uganda, he has, purchased uh, some property, but he's also started a building for our CTC program, and uh, we give $2,000 to help put a roof on that building, and what that building, once it's completely uh, finished and completed, it will end up saving over $12,000 in the next two years in expenses of having to uh, to, to go into these areas, to pay for visas, to do a lot of things that we've, that we've ended up having to do. And so now we can just bring them into this location, no expense whatsoever. So it, it saves a significant amount of money. So we were able to uh, help do that. He didn't have it completed yet, but he's, uh, he's getting really close. Uh, also, what we've done uh, here in, in our, uh, within the church is we've added volunteers to almost every single ministry that's going, that's going on. But uh, in reality, the truth is we, we don't have enough volunteers. So, I mean, if you're not a volunteer, I want to challenge you this morning to get involved. If you don't know what uh, you should do or where you should get involved with, I want to encourage you to go through Next Steps. Next Steps is, is, a, is a very, very good uh, uh, class. It's, it's four classes, uh, uh, membership, maturity, ministry, and missions. You'll help be able to discover your spiritual gifts. And by the time you complete next steps, we'll be able to plug you into a ministry and you'll be able to serve because we're saved to serve. Amen? Amen. We're not saved to sit. We're, we're saved to serve. And so um, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, also, uh, financially, uh, one of our goals were, was to raise a million dollars in three years. 
And I, I know that that sounds like an overwhelming amount to a lot of people, and that seems to be almost like mind-boggling. But, you know, we, we broke that down, what it would take to uh, raise a million dollars in three years. And, you know, if, if we had 150 people that gave $185 a month for a 36-month period of time, uh, we'd be able to raise a million dollars. If, if we had somebody that was able to give uh, $42.50 um, a, a week to, uh, uh, to, to, to support the vision of, of this particular campaign, uh, we would be able to raise a million dollars. If we had 150 people that give $6.61 a day to the campaign, we would be able to raise a million dollars. So what I'm saying is for the price of a value meal that you'll leave here this morning and go uh, and, and purchase, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying it's, it's just really not that difficult to do, and we're believing God for that. But 150 people giving $6.60 a day for, uh, for a three-year three period of time, we'll be able to raise a million dollars. And the reason why we want to do that is we want to be completely debt-free, because we believe that once a church gets debt free, it you know it, it it takes off any kind of limit that is is uh, holding you back. Because you know what, it takes resources. We want to be able to fully fund all of our ministry budgets. We want to be able to increase every single thing that we do. And and when we have a debt free building and a debt free place, you're able to to do so much more for the kingdom. Imagine what we could do globally. Imagine what we could do locally. And and uh, also, I want to I say this as well while we're, while we're talking about it. Uh, we have had our first responders uh, uh, service every year for the last uh, three years. And I was talking to Brian Jackson about it. And, and what we decided to do was because we don't want it to be something that becomes just a common thing where, you know, you just, you know, kind of take it or leave it. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to skip this year, but we will be having the first responder service again next year. And uh, the last thing I want to mention here as well is uh, we've been able to pour a new sidewalk in between the buildings here. Um, and uh, what we're getting ready to do very soon is uh, we're going to be making some repairs to the roof. Last week we had a, a catastrophic failure of, of water, in, uh, and we talked about that. But we're going to get that fixed, and then we want to build a canopy in between here. So uh, from here or, or the school that we're able to uh, transport our children and moms to the nursery and children's church and all of that good stuff. But uh, anyways, we just wanted to give you an update of, of, of what's been accomplished what you've made happen, what's been able to um, uh, get done because of, of your support. And uh, specifically, giving has increased 18% since the campaign started last year. And if you take into account what has been given in the last five months, it's increased 25%. And so, or 24%. And if giving remains at the level where it's at right now, we will have an additional $120,000 to be able to go toward these things. Again, the, our goal is a million. And, and our goal is to, to, to go for uh, what God has for us. But, I mean, right now at this point, I, don't, I want you to know that we're not just putting money in our pocket and keeping it in there and having it in the account. We're, we're using it as it comes. And we've got a lot, of more, lot more things that we'll, we'll continue to update you about over in the next little bit. But in your bulletin, uh, you'll see that there's a, there's a daring faith 
commitment card. And, and on the front of that, uh, it talks about the campaign. And it asks you a few questions about uh, giving that, that you can ask between you and the Lord. There's no pressure here for you to give. And, and I, don't, I don't want anybody to feel obligated whatsoever in any way. But you can look at this and just prayerfully consider uh, these questions that are on here. And on the back, you'll see that there is uh, uh, something that you can fill out. If you feel impressed that the Lord would want you to give, uh, and you've never been a part of the campaign before, uh, just fill this back out. And if you're able to do that before you leave today, that'd be great. If, you, if you're not able to do that before you leave, if you could take that and just bring it back next Sunday and put in the offering when we do our tithing offering, that would be awesome. That would be great. But um, I appreciate every one of you so much for the uh, uh, sacrifices that you've made. We've made a lot of progress. We still have a long way to go, but uh, we have a vision to do something significant for God. Uh, one man said, dare to do something so big that it is doomed to fail unless God be involved in it. You know, I don't want to see what I can do. I don't want to see what man can do. I want to see what God can do through people who are fully devoted and committed to him. We've got to have something happen in our community. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah. And I, I want to share a few things with you um, this morning. And I want to talk about daring to work together. Daring to work together. We're going to read uh, Nehemiah chapter number 2. We're going to read verse 11 and 12. And then we're going to skip down to verse 17. And then we'll read through verse 20. Nehemiah chapter number 2, verse number 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. This is Nehemiah speaking. Then I arose at night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Now skip down to verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of God that would been good upon me, and of the king's words that he had spoken. So they said to me, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no heritage or no right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning just for the privilege to gather together as your family. And Lord, I believe that you've called us to do a great work, much like what you called Nehemiah and the people living in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, to transform a community. I believe that's the purpose the local church exists, to reach those that are far from you, that don't know you, and help them to rebuild their lives on the word of God, and that, Lord, you would use them to touch and change others. I pray that you would take this uh, few minutes we have together this morning, cause this message to come alive. Help those that have not caught the vision of this Daring Faith campaign to see what 
you are doing and where they can join in with you on the work that's going on. Lord, the only work that you start is the work that you finish. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue to work among us in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in this church, and in our community. And we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, daring to work together. What we see happening here in Nehemiah chapter number 2 is that Nehemiah sends out a call for unity. He sends out a call to everyone that is living in Jerusalem at this time for them to come together and come together under a unified purpose. And the purpose is what connects them to the power and the resource and the ability of God and what he can do in and through people who will willingly give themselves to the good work in which he has called them. I love the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And the thing I love most about the book of Nehemiah is there's not one recorded supernatural miracle that takes place. Nobody's walking on water. Nobody's being raised from the dead. You know, nobody's casting out demons. Nobody is, is doing any healing any of the sick. Although I, I so greatly appreciate that, and I, I believe that's what we're called to do, the book of Nehemiah is simply about the day-to-day commitment of ordinary people working together for the purpose of God. And so Nehemiah sends out this call for unity. It's a call for everybody living in Jerusalem to come together under a unified purpose to achieve a God-given goal. Now, Nehemiah, being the great leader that he is, understands that if he could just get the people to come together, not just come together, but come together underneath a vision or a purpose that God has laid upon his heart, he understands that there would be tremendous Tremendous power released in their lives to accomplish the work of God. Now, that power is what we call synergy. Synergy is the power that is released through cooperation. And Nehemiah understood that if he could just gather the people together, explain to them, share with them what the Lord had laid on his heart, and if they could see it. See, vision is not something that you, that, that you, you teach, it's something that you catch. You know, it's not something that that, that you just try to reason and understand with in your mind. There's an element of faith that that requires to rise up inside of you in, in order for you to be able to grasp what God is saying and what God is wanting you to do. As a matter of fact, if what God's called you to do doesn't require God's involvement in your life, I can promise you it's not God. And so Nehemiah gathers the people together. He says, this is what God has laid upon my heart, and we're wanting to rebuild the wall that surrounds Jerusalem. Now, the problem is the people have become cynical. they become hopeless. They had given up. This wall had been in that condition for 141 years. In other words, their, their attitude was things have always been been this way. It's been this way for centuries. It's been this way for over a hundred years. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing good can, can take place. You know, so they have all but had given up and they just went through the motions and they had accepted the conditions that they were living in. They were living in horrible conditions. And what I mean by that, the conditions were so bad that they were a reproach. They were still God's people. God had still chosen them. 
them, but they had lived in their lives in such a way that they accepted that, you know what? Uh, this is the way it's always going to be. They become cynical. They become apathetic. They become indifferent. Their attitude was, you know, there's nothing good that can come out of this. But Nehemiah understood something. He understood if he could get them to come together, then there would be supernatural power released if they would align themselves with a God-given purpose, a God-given vision. They knew that, it, that the entire city could be changed. He believed that something that had not been done for over 140 years could actually happen and, and God be able to do something so incredible through the people that were already in this community that if they would work together for this purpose, God could do in a matter of days what was not done in over 141 years. Now, I believe that a message applies to us here in southeastern Kentucky. You know, we, we, we live in a place that has been known for drug addiction. We live in a place that's been known for uh, generational poverty, uh, drug dealing. Uh, we have kind of a reputation. But I want you to know something. I take that stuff personal. You know what? I grew up here. You know, my family is here. These are my people, and people look at us, and they look, and they want to put us down, and they want to say, you're from southeastern Kentucky, you're this, and you're that, and you're this, and that. I mean, I want God to do something so incredible that it grabs the world's attention, and the world says, only God could do something like that. And that's the kind of vision that I believe God wants us to have, and not just wants us to have, but wants us to see come to pass. Nehemiah knew that if he could get his people together under this purpose and vision, then ultimately God could do the impossible. Because when you work together in a God-given purpose focused on the vision he has given us and given you, the impossible becomes possible. Now, let me give you three things right quick. This is in your outline. Three things that, that need to happen in order for us to see something on a God-sized scale actually happen. First thing I want to say, and first thing I want to talk about is the power of cooperation. The power of cooperation. Again, we said that synergy is the power released through cooperation. It's the power that's released through cooperation. The incredible thing about this story, and this is what I love about this story, is that the solution to the problems going on in Jerusalem was already present in the community. The solution, I mean, think about this. Everybody that God was going to use, everybody that was going to be a part of a work that had never been done before, Everybody that God was going to use to rebuild this wall that had been in ruin for 141 years, they already lived in the area. You know what? It doesn't say that, that God asked Billy Graham to come and do a crusade. It didn't ask that look for some big television celebrity preacher or personality to come in and, and to, to teach this and teach that. No, it says that everybody that was going to be a part of the work, that was going to be part of the solution, already lived in Jerusalem. The problem was they had never been brought together for a unified purpose. They were there. Think about this. The answer to the problem was there. I believe the answer to our community's problem is already here. And here's the thing. Because they had become so indifferent, because they had become so cynical, 
because they become so apathetic. Instead of being part of the solution, they were a part of the So let me ask you, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Well, how do I know if I'm part of the problem or part of the solution? question is, are you doing anything about it? I paused for an amen, but it didn't come, but it's all good. But they were the solution to the problem, but they had to first see that they were a part of the problem before they could become part of the solution. Because it's easy to become comfortable in church. It's easy to come on Sunday morning. It's easy to worship. It's easy to spend an hour or two in, in, in church and go back home and not even think about God the rest of the time. It's easy to come to church and not get involved in the ministry. It's easy to get involved or come to church and not even get involved with outreach. It's easy to come to church and not give a dime. It's easy to come to church and not do anything to intentionally reach somebody that is desperate and in need. I don't know if you know this, but last week there was a lady that ended up shooting herself and committing suicide just a few miles from where we're at this morning. Did you know that? People are in, in a hopeless condition to the point that they want to end it all. And not just want to end it all, actually take the steps to do that. That just happened this week. So we can't sit back and not be a part of the solution. We can't sit back and become comfortable in our Christianity. Listen, it costs you nothing to become a Christian, but it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. It costs you nothing. The only thing you can add to your salvation is the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. But if you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you something. And not just something, it's going to cost you everything. But it's worth it. And so, Nehemiah, he brings the people together. He sees that, you know what? I don't have to search for the solution. I just need to organize the people. And if I can organize the people, then the power that is released through synergy will get the work done. Listen to me. He understood that the solution was there. That's 50% of the problem already solved. He had already made 50% progress on something that people thought was impossible to do. He said, now all i got to do, my job, I've got to, uh, or I had the task to organize the people under a unified purpose and vision and then release the potential of the people that are already there to rebuild this wall and we'll get done what nobody said that could get done. As a matter of fact, if you read the story, you'll find out that they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. See, it doesn't take much to see change happen when people are ready to get serious about God. It doesn't take much. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're the minority. Listen, you and God are the majority. If you have to stand alone, stand. It doesn't matter because, listen, God's on your side. And if God's for you, but it's the cooperating that we got a problem with. The, the vision I put up, but didn't it all sound good? What you doing about it? Everybody can do something. 
do something for one that you would be willing to do for all. But by all means, do something. Nehemiah had a plan. I'm going to bring the people together. Here's the purpose. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring them together and teach them how to cooperate with one another. That's what Nehemiah is going to do. That's what he's getting ready to do. Now, that's the exact same challenge that we have today. And that is simply not just gathering in the building, but simply gathering underneath and coming up under a vision and purpose of God and then working together to see that thing come to pass. Now, the truth is no marriage... No family, no church, and no community will ever be able to fulfill the purpose and the vision that God's given them without coming together. If we remain divided, if we remain uh, uh, disconnected, God cannot do anything in our lives. Listen, two people working together in a unity, in agreement, can accomplish 10 times more than 2,000 people doing their own thing. The problem is, because we don't, believe, we don't view Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, we think that we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Well, when you give your life to Jesus, did you mean it? If you meant it, then you don't belong to yourself anymore. The Apostle Paul wrote, he said, we should no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who loved us and died for us. There's no greater level of living than living for Jesus. So, how do we create unity? How do we create unity? Well, the first thing we've got to do is we have to define what unity is. Unity is not sameness, okay? And what I mean by that is God doesn't intend every one of you to be just like me. He doesn't intend any two people to be exactly alike. You know, he does not want to replicate the same DNA. He likes diversity. So every person has different degrees of uniqueness that God wants to use to help accomplish and fulfill the overall goal of the purpose and vision he's giving them. And so he brings all of these diversities and these uniquenesses together, and he begins to harness that. They begin to see this vision, then it is released because all of this diversity, all of this uniqueness has now been brought together in oneness of purpose. Listen, there's only one purpose the church exists. That is to win souls and make disciples. That is plan A. There is no plan B. So that has to be our intentional folks. There's a lot of ways that we can do that. We shared a few of them before I got started, but that's how unity is created. That's why every church has to have a vision that they can follow. Every person has to be able to see this vision and then find their place where they can participate in this vision and then get involved because the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2 that the people, once they heard the vision that Nehemiah brought to them, they said, let us rise and build. They didn't just speak words. They said, and they put their hand to the good work. It's one thing to say amen. It's another thing to say hallelujah. It's another thing to say, you know what, that's a great vision, Pastor. It's another thing to put your hand to the good work. Oftentimes, when everything's said and done, more said than done. So we have to learn how to cooperate. And so we have to gather this vision, grab it, and go with it. Because the Bible says, he that reads this 
needs to read and write down this vision. Then once they write it down and they read it, then they can run with it. So we've got some things for us to, to do. The, the thing is, we've got to come together. So that's number one. Second thing I want to tell you is, and what I see in the story is, the plan of organization. Now, if you continue reading in the book of Nehemiah, if you turn over to Nehemiah chapter 3, you don't have to do that. I'm just going to highlight a few verses. But Nehemiah tells us who gets involved and the plan that he's going to use to rebuild the wall. I love this because he plainly speaks out and lists names of people who got involved in the work. Now, listen to this. When you read Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1, the very first people or person that you read about are the high priest or is the high priest. Now, the high priest, we could just break that down and, and we could simply talk to them and call them, they're the preachers. There's a lot of people that think that the pastor's job is to do everything, to do all the ministry. For, you know, the, they become the center of everything. So anytime ministry happens, it has to happen wherever the pastor's at. I, I don't know where, where they got that from, but not in the Bible. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And he said, this is their job for the equipping of the saints. And then he lists the saints' job. He said, then the saints do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip. Your job is to minister. I'm not the minister of this church. You're the minister of this church. I'm here to equip you for ministry. And we've got a plan for that. It's called Next Steps. We start you out right now on the path. So that, that's, you know, look at your neighbor and say, no, you roll. There is no, look, we talked about this in the last series when we talked about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there's only one king. What's his name? You ain't him. I mean, it took me 10 years to realize I wasn't the Holy Spirit. I mean, I tried to get people saved best I could, get them in a headlock, drag them to the altar. What'd you say? What'd you say? I mean, whatever it took. Jerk out the Bible and beat them with it. I mean I, I mean, I probably did more for the kingdom of hell. You think I'm bad now? You should have seen me a few years ago. But... Anyways, he lists people, and the first people he lists, he lists the preachers. Now, you see the preachers or the high priest involved everywhere. Now, why, why are the preachers listed first? The reason the preachers are listed, and you can find this in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, verse 17, verse 22, and verse 28. Now, the preachers were involved in rebuilding the wall because they wanted to remind the others that are building the wall that you're not doing something that is insignificant. What you're doing is by divine purpose of God. He wanted them to know what you're doing. It may just be a small section of the wall. It may not look impressive, but the high priest was there to remind them, listen, what you're doing is for a divine purpose. It's, it's not, you're not wasting your time. 
The Bible says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Listen, there's been many, many days I've looked back and I've asked myself, have I done anything that's going to make a difference in eternity? Because one day I'm going to give account of myself to God. And the things that I probably thought were a big deal and significant, I found out were probably not any deal at all and no significant. Because if we live for us and do what we want to do for us, if everything's centered around us, if everything has to be about me, if I only do it when I want to, if I only do it when I feel like, if when I do it when it's convenient, I promise you we's not doing anything for the kingdom. So, he lists the high priest. He said, I'm going to remind you that what you're doing is a divine purpose. Now, let's look and see who else is involved. We see in Nehemiah 1, 17, 22, and 28 that the ministers are involved. Nehemiah 8, the goldsmiths and the perfumers. Well, who do they represent? These are people in the marketplace. These are people that work in the business sector. These are people who have ordinary, secular jobs, but yet, guess what they're doing? They're working on the wall. It lists them right there. So it doesn't matter what your vocation is. Listen, your career is what you get paid for. Your calling is what you were made for. But God wants you to be able to see your career, your job, your business, whatever that may be, and understand you can help build the wall right where you're at. You may not be in full-time ministry, but listen, there's no such thing as being a part-time Christian. And then he lists the next people. Verse 9, 12, 14. Government. I mean... People in the government, even politicians get involved in rebuilding the wall. Government has a role, but government is not God. Government is here to serve God. You with me? So you may be the mayor, the governor, or senator, uh, house representatives. You may be city council member. You may be judge executive. You may be magistrate. You may be a uh, constable, whatever that may be. Listen, God's got work for you. He's got a place on the wall for you to get involved. God and government can work together. It's not easy. Here's the next one. Single folk. People looking for a man, people looking for a woman. Let me tell you something. The best place to find a man or a woman is somebody that's working on the wall. Listen, when Boaz found Ruth, she wasn't twerking, she was working. Just saying. I'm just saying. But they were on the wall because here's what I believe about this. When you discover your purpose, God will bring you your person. 
When you discover your person, purpose, God will send you your person. Why? Because until you find your identity in the one who, 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 who saved you and called you and you have this security of knowing who you are in God and who God is in you, then you know what? Until that insecurity leaves out of your life, all we're going to do is end up destroying relationships instead of building them. I had a story about Rachel, but I won't say that one again. You heard the story, right? I won't say it again. I want to say it again, but I won't say it again. I'm thinking about saying it again, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going on. And so, notice who's involved in the wall. The ministers, the business sector, government, singles, Men, women, just study the story. Everybody's getting involved. And the thing about it, what made it incredible, they understood and they were able to see the vision. And this is how you knew, know when you have the vision. When somebody asks you, what are you doing today? I'm working on the wall. And then Tuesday comes around, well, what are you doing today? I'm working on the wall. Wednesday rolls around, what are you doing today? I'm Thursday come around, what, what are you doing? Friday come around, what are you doing? Listen, they had the vision. They had it. They got it. They, they didn't just understand it theologically. They said, we can do this. I can contribute to this. And I'm saying, so can you. Anybody can. Everybody is represented in this group. Everybody is working. And so what Nehemiah did was he organized the people into small groups. And then, they, and then he positioned them in a particular part of the wall. And Nehemiah lists 41 sections of the wall and two gates. And then he lists 75 different names. You ever read the Bible and, and you get to the point to where there are like 150,000 names in there and you're like, well, you skip on past that. Right? But the Bible says that all Scripture is divinely inspired by God. God inspired somebody to write it down, even if it's 75 names that you can't even pronounce. They must have done something pretty important. They made it in the book. Well, what did those 75 people do? Working on the wall, get you in the book. List them, 75 people. And he lined them up according to Natural connectors. Look, look at this. Go to the next one. Nehemiah's genius. What he did was he took all the people that said, you know what? I'm here to serve in the vision. I'm here at this church, Nehemiah, because I want to make a difference. Show me where I can help. God, let that tribe increase. Where can I help? And Nehemiah had a plan. He reveals a plan. He put people in sections, 75 different sections of the wall, and he told them, like, look, you build the wall, notice where he said to build it, in front of your house. Why? Because if your gospel doesn't work at home, don't export it. Your family is the greatest gospel witness and word you can give to the world. Make sure you're preaching it well. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an atheist, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, every one of those folks, they want to be a part of a happy family. 
The church is a family, and a church is made up of families. But if you don't build the wall, and it's laying down there, you know what? You become a victim to whatever comes your way. And some of you, your house is out of order. You ain't built the wall since you got married. You worked hard building when you, when you first started dating. You put on your best front. You opened car doors. You did this. You did that. You know what? You just, you, 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 you preferred them before yourself. All of a sudden, you got married and you quit. Marriage is like a wheelbarrow. You don't get anywhere till you start pushing. You're going to have to work. Work. And so he puts them in front of their house. Now, I wonder why he put them in front of their house. Why do you think they, he put them in front of their house to build? Talk to me. What do you think? They're going to make sure if all the other pieces are and sections of the wall, if it's not built right, you know what? I'm going to build this one right. I'm going to make sure it's secure. I'm going to make sure it's steady. I'm going to make sure it's got a firm foundation. And that's the way he set him up. Now look what it says. In Nehemiah chapter 3, he said, his house, 23, in front of his house. 24, repairs at the house. And verse 20, his house. He tells them where it's at. Look, it starts at home. And if your house is out of order, you can't build a wall. Here's the last thing. So we've got power of cooperation. We got the plan of organization. Third thing, you throw that up there for me. Third thing is the privilege of commendation. And so he gives a list of names. If you read through that, the stuff that you actually, you know, skip by because it's boring, all that kind of good stuff. But he gives a list of names. And why does he give a list of names? The reason he gives a list of names is because it serves a purpose. That's called encouragement. Did you know that everybody does a whole lot better when they're encouraged? You know what? They, God's not looking for anybody to sit around and become a professional fault finder and point out what everybody is not doing and what they are doing, they're doing wrong. There ain't no need for them folk on the wall. And the reason they're busy doing that is because they ain't doing anything in the first place or they feel like they're the only one that's doing anything. Being encouragement. You know, encouragement's like peanut butter on a jelly sandwich. The more you spread it, and the thicker you spread it, the better things stick together. Everybody can use encouragement. And so Nehemiah puts their names in the book. Why? Because they're doing a good work. I'm going to remember folk who were faithful to work, faithful to do their part. And so he lists their names. And so all these names are written down in the book of Nehemiah in verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 3 through 36. And he, he writes all these names down because, listen to this, think about this. 
Rebuilding the wall that surrounded Jerusalem was so significant to God that he wanted the record of every single individual that got involved in what he was doing. It just looked like a wall to some people. God said, I'm going to remember what they did for me forever. Who did he remember? Everybody that got involved in the work. Everybody that got involved in the work. It was so significant that he wanted to keep record. Now, let me tell you something. The fact that we're still here and we've not been raptured out and taken on up into heaven lets me know that the story that's right, that God is writing about our lives and about this community and about this nation and world is not over yet. And guess what God's saying to you today? Get involved in the work. Why? Because I'm taking names. Question is, when everything's said and done and this thing is wrapped up, will your name be in the book? Will your name be in the book? Some folk, their, their favorite song or their favorite thing to do is, is, is to sit on the seat to do nothing. Their favorite song is, I shall not be moved. Erase their name out of this one. They go ahead and come to music. I'm finishing. So, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, that God has a book of remembrance. And in this book of remembrance, listen to this. God writes, he writes down who you are and what you did. Now, why does God have a book of remembrance when he never forgets anything? Think about that. Why does God have a book of remembrance when it's impossible for him to forget? He doesn't write it down for him. He writes it down for you. Why does he write it down for you? Because he wants to remind you of everything that you have done for him and his kingdom or remind you of everything you didn't do that he called you to. Isn't that something? Because the Bible says that there's, there's a book about your life. He said, all the days of my life were written down in your book before any, even one of them came to pass. And he said, I know the plans I have for you. They're good and not evil to give you a hope in the future. And he said, not just that. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He said, if you don't know what to do, he said, lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. God will establish your thoughts. He will direct your steps, or your, your, your paths, and he will order your steps. But not until you make up your mind that you're going to serve him with everything in you. And that's the kind of call I believe God's issuing out. Stand with me. A call to give everything. Because there's people in this room you've been holding back. 
like you felt the, the, the call of God, the tug of God. You felt God speak to you specifically. You, you're terrified of, of what God's saying to you. And you're holding that part back. That part of you that God is saying, that part that you're withholding from me is what I'm asking from you today. Give everything to me. And so this morning while I was praying for the service and over this message, I was sitting here thinking to myself, imagine what could... Look around. Just look around. Imagine, imagine if everybody in this room were using their gifts, their talents, and their abilities to build the wall. I mean, imagine what could be accomplished if we all didn't just come together in this building but come together underneath a vision. A daring faith vision. Imagine if we said, you know what? Every person here, I'm going to dedicate myself and I'm going to be a part of reaching 200 people in the next two years for Christ who are lost without Him. We can help you do that. We can show you how they're already in your life. You already have relationships with them. Imagine if you said, you know what? I'm going to get involved in a ministry that's in need of having a, uh, being a volunteer. And you know what? Do you know how much encouragement that will bring to those who are already building the wall? Say, hey, I want to come alongside you and help you in nursery. Hey, I want to come alongside and I want to help you in children's church. I want to help you in youth ministry. I want to help you in prayer. I want to help you in whatever it is. Just, I'm here to serve. Imagine. Do you know what that would do for that person? Do you know what that would do for me? Encouragement. Imagine if we said, you know what? I'm going to sacrificially give $6 and 60 cents a day to help reach this financial goal. We can do it. It can be done, but not without God. But not if you don't capture the vision. Imagine. I mean, just imagine the potential. The potential of just what's in this room, it's incredible. I'm saying this is what God's calling us to. Let's bow our hands. There's another book that the Bible talks about that is extremely important. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in this book are written the names of those who have given their life to Christ wholeheartedly, completely devoted, without holding anything back. They put their trust and their faith in the one who went before them who said, I must work while this day, for night is coming when no man should work. 
for the one who died in their place, who felt the wrath of God without mercy so that you could feel the mercy of God without wrath. And let me ask you a question. If today was your last day, would your name be found in that book? Because there's some terrifying things that are said after that that I need to tell you about. It says, And whosoever's name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire forever. Friend, I don't want you to go there. God sent me here today to just to warn you and say, listen, your name's not in there, but today it can be. Well, how's my name get written in the book of life? You just simply bring everything that you have and you say, Lord Jesus, as best as I know how, I can't save myself. There's no magical prayer to pray. I don't know what to do, but I just know that I'm lost. I've committed sins. My sin has separated me from you. But you died on the cross that my sin might be forgiven. Take my name and read it, write it in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're here and you're lost and God's dealing with you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. This didn't save you. I just want to know that you're here and God's dealing with you on the count of three. One, two, three. Lift up your hand. Amen, amen, amen. For the rest of you that are here, are you on the wall? If you're not, why not? If you don't know what to do, we can help. I want to challenge you. Say, God, what part of the wall you want me to build? They're going to sing. They're going to play if you lifted your hand. If you want to bring a commitment and say, God, here I am. I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm going to commit myself to this church. I'm going to commit myself to being a part of this Daring Faith campaign. They're going to sing and they're going to play. I want to invite you to come right now. Just get out of your seat. You're welcome here.